Thank you, Marcus. And uh, it's good to be here with um, friends, seeing them in face um, and uh, face to face, uh, well, mask to mask as well. But um, really looking forward to the time we can start to bring people back into the building again. And uh, I'm sure maybe you feel the same way as well. And um, we're continuing our series this morning on um, joy on the journey from the book of Philippians, this letter the Apostle Paul wrote while he was in a difficult season. He was in lockdown, he was in prison, maybe house arrest, or maybe in a prison cell in Rome as he writes this letter. And um, in the section of the letter that we're going to read today, Paul speaks about a couple of really faithful friends with him on the journey. And I want to speak about that this morning and today, about the joy of good friends on the journey. Um, Paul speaks about these two, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And, and in one sense, both of them, as he sort of um, comes into this section of the letter, really he's kind of giving two living examples of those that are, are, are followers of Jesus. And they're just like Jesus, really, in the way they're living their lives. And Referring back to chapter 2, verse 1 to 11 that Marcus spoke on last week, where it talks about the love of Christ, about the, the Jesus' humility and the, the having concern for other people above your own interests. And Timothy and Epaphroditus are kind of living examples of this, and they're dear friends to Paul. So we're going to read from Philippians chapter 2, verse 19 to 30. So if you've got a Bible, turn to it, and um, let's read together. Philippians 2, verse 19 to 30. Paul writes this, But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare, for they all seek after their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel, like a child serving his father. Therefore I hope to send him immediately, as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For he indeed was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I've sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice and may be less concerned, and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then, the Lord, with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. The joy of dear friends on the journey. This was Paul's experience, and I want to focus in on Epaphroditus. He only gets mentioned, I think, in the New Testament in this letter of Philippians. He gets mentioned twice in two verses. And, um, well, who was he? Well, he was a member of the church of Philippi. When you read further on in this letter, chapter 4, verse 18, Paul writes this, But I've received everything in full and have an abundance. I'm amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent. And so this church in Philippi has sent this gift to Paul to, to aid him, to help him maybe personally, but also in terms of the mission Paul was on as well. He bought these supplies and gift to Paul. Now, it was no easy trip for Epaphroditus to make from Philippi to Rome. 
Um, if you go on Google Maps, you'll discover that um, Philippi um, is roughly around 745 miles from Rome. You've got the Adriatic Sea in the middle of it. And uh, Epaphroditus, if you're going to drive it, um, it would take about 21 hours if you didn't stop. And obviously, Epaphroditus didn't have a car, and he would have walked it, likely on the Via Ignatia, this road, that, this Roman road that was built um, to sort of bridge the east and west of the Roman Empire that passed through Philippi, where Epaphroditus lived. And Epaphroditus would have walked on this road, and you can walk on that road yourself today. And if he'd have kind of made progress, say, 10 hours a day walking for those 10,000 steppers a day, if you do that sort of thing, this would have been about 70,000 steps a day. If he'd done that pace, it would have taken him around sort of three weeks to a month. Now, I've got no idea how long it took to get the boat across the, uh, the Adriatic, but around a month's journey. And when I read letters like this about Epaphroditus and Paul and real places, real people, real blisters on Epaphroditus' feet, real dangers that he faced on the road, it just reminds us again that, that these letters are grounded in history, real places, real people. This stuff happened. Uh, Christianity is rooted in that. It's rooted in that Jesus really lived. He really died. He was really crucified in history on a cross, was really raised from the dead. And these letters are not kind of abstract kind of spiritual truths. They are written in the cut and thrust of everyday life of people following Jesus. And joy is mentioned twice in connection with Epaphroditus here. And I want to ask what characterized him as a faithful friend. What can we learn from him? And how does he ultimately point us to Jesus? And I want to focus on verse 25, these three words that come out there. This, the way Paul describes him as a brother, as a fellow worker as a fellow soldier. And so first, brother. As a brother, he put his love into practice. Here we have the, the family language of the New Testament. The church is not this religious institution. It's not a meeting we attend once a week. It's a family that we are part of. And this family language is shot through the New Testament. It's the hallmark. And our love for one another is key in this. In fact, the root word for friend in English comes from the Germanic root, is for love. And love is a key part of this deep friendship. That's why we have this phrase, gather in friendship and family. And Paul writes to the Philippians in chapter 1, verse 9, he says, I pray that your love for one another would abound more and more. May it overflow and keep tipping into each other's lives more and more. Paul clearly loves those that he's writing to. In chapter 1, verse 8, Paul uses this language. He says, how I long for you. And then in chapter 2, verse 12, Paul calls them his beloved. I mean, it's Valentine's Day, isn't it? This is kind of language someone might expect to get in a Valentine's card. Beloved, how I long for you. That language that Tony read out earlier from Song of Solomon's there that expresses the heart of God towards us. This is the kind of heart that God, uh, the love that God loves us with and that then enables us to love one another in that way as well. So Paul clearly loves those he's writing to. And he clearly loves Epaphroditus as well, because in verse 27, Epaphroditus got sick and was close to death. And Paul says that God spared him, he was made well again, and it spared Paul's sorrow upon sorrow. There's this sense that maybe Paul was experiencing some sorrow in some things already. And if Epaphroditus has died, well, that on top of this already would have been too much for him, he felt. 
And what I like about this is, well, I don't know about like about it, but here this kind of contrast, there's, there's, there's such a sort of uh, a note of joy that sings so clearly throughout the, the letter of Philippians that, that's, that's really loud. And yet here we have these words sorrow kind of contrasting with that. Paul is emotionally honest about how he feels. One writer put it this way, he said, Rejoicing in the Lord does not mean denying the reality of sorrow caused by tragic circumstances of life. Rejoicing in the Lord does not mean denying the reality of sorrow caused by tragic circumstances of life. We can be honest about how we're feeling about difficult situations, maybe even situations that have been caused through, maybe even family, maybe friendships that have gone, gone wrong, maybe those that have betrayed us in our lives or whatever. We experience these things. And maybe even talking about friendship and family, um, maybe you remember pain in that. Well, we can be honest about these things. And, and church is the kind of place, the relationships that we have where we don't have to wear masks and we can be honest about what is going on in our hearts. And Paul does that here. So Paul loves those he's writing to. He loves Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus clearly loved Paul as well. In verse 25, we just read out, he was a minister to my need. He was a servant to my need. He was willing to make that trip from Philippi all the way to Rome, putting himself in danger. Paul was in this place of lack, and he needed another to come to his aid and to bring him what he lacked. And Epaphroditus was a dear friend who was there for him in his time of need. And in this, Epaphroditus, again, was this living example of what Jesus was like, who Jesus was, and the way that Jesus said for us to love one another. In 2 verse 7 here, it says that Jesus taking the form of a servant. And it reminds me of that story, maybe well known to you, uh, of Jesus just in the, uh, the night before he's going to be crucified and, in, and they're having dinner together with the disciples and, and, and the feet need to be washed and none of the disciples are going to do it. But Jesus, knowing who he was, he takes the lowest place in the room and he serves the disciples at their, as it were, greatest point of need, all pointing towards the forgiveness and the grace that Jesus was to bring to our lives through his death on the cross, standing in our place. The wages of sin are death, and Jesus took that death for us. No greater love is there than one would lay down their life for a friend, Jesus said. And here, Epaphroditus, as it were, lays down his life in service to his friend, Paul, living out what it means to follow Jesus. Paul experienced the joy of friends on the journey through Timothy, through Epaphroditus, also through Titus as well was another of Paul's friends. And you can read about that in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 6 to 7 says this, but God who comforts the depressed, he's speaking about himself there, comforted us by the coming of Titus. God who comforted the downcast, who brought some comfort and strength and encouragement into his life. It came through a friend turning up. It came through Titus. And while we can't be with each other in this season, we can't be physically in the same room, we can't be around a, a table together eating food, we want to continue to find creative ways of encouraging one another, of ministering to each other's needs, finding out about where people are at, a phone call, a text, an email, and so many are doing this all the time in the church family, and it is just wonderful, even through this difficult season. 
We look out for the interests of others. So Epaphroditus was a brother put his love into practice. Second word here is worker. That as a worker, he put his hand to the plow alongside others. And I wonder if Paul is thinking here about when uh, Paul went into Philippi, where the church was started in that city, and maybe Epaphroditus was kind of a key worker alongside Paul in that season in Philippi. This word worker here um, is synergos. Um, It's from our word synergy. And a definition of synergy is this. The interaction or cooperation of two or more organizations, substances, or other agents to produce a combined effect greater than the sum of the separate effects. Two um, two organizations, two two substances, two agents coming together and and a sum of the, 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 the either could kind of make individually is greater when they come together. Marcus, the other week, um, talked about this in Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Do you remember at the beginning of, if you watched that one, the Philippians, this partnership in the gospel, how these two come together, different people with different skills and different gifts, and you get this ice cream. Well, way more important than that is people coming together for the purpose of the gospel to make Jesus known, who he is and what he's done. And Paul, in Romans 16, he lists this, this list of men and women, and he calls them fellow workers who had come alongside. They, he talks about those that worked hard in the gospel, coming alongside Paul, this synergy together. One phrase that has been around our family of churches for many, many years is is we can do more together than we can apart. And that's so true in relational mission churches, churches across the UK, but also into Europe and other nations and so on. We can do more together than apart. In the city, serving alongside other churches in the city, good friends that we're alongside in the gospel in the city. And here at King's, in just being in partnership, being in team, being uh, alongside dear friends, walking in here this morning actually and seeing dear people, dear friends around the room here, partnering together for the gospel. It brings joy to our hearts when we, when we serve alongside others. God has called us to put our hand to the plow. There, there is hard work, as it were, in the kingdom. There's things that we give ourselves to. Ephesians chapter 2 says that God has prepared good works in advance for us to walk in, that we would walk in them. And it seems to be the plural there in that verse, not just that I personally, but we together in synergy, together, coming together, will walk in these things. And we don't work hard to pay back God. We don't work hard to earn approval from God. We don't serve to gain a reputation for ourselves. We don't serve or work hard to prove something to others. Key to both of them, there's two verses in Ephesians. Ephesians 4.16 talks about as each one does their work, the body gets built up in love. And this verse in Ephesians 2, that God has prepared good works. Key to these verses is that grace precedes them. In chapter 2, it talks about, in Ephesians, talks about we are saved by grace. And that has to be in place first. And when that's in place, actually that fuels the work that we give ourselves to. Ephesians 4.16, when it says that as each one does its work, the body gets built up. Before that, it says from him, from Christ. He's the one who goes before us. Grace 
comes before kind of the grit, if you like. Before we put our hands to the plow, we get the grace of God, and that motivates us and enables us and actually helps us as well. When we live in the good of the grace of God, it helps us as we give ourselves to the work that God has called us to together. Grace helps us from becoming striven and driven because we haven't got to prove anything to anyone else or to God. We haven't got to gain acceptance, our self-worth through what we do anymore because we're saved by grace. Grace helps us keep us from comparison with others as well because everyone's just gifted in different ways by God, wonderfully made. I wonder whether Epaphroditus and Timothy even, maybe there was a temptation there to compare to one another. Timothy, Paul, seems to almost favour over Epaphroditus. I want to send Timothy to you. I've got no one like him. I wonder if Epaphroditus was thinking, but what about me? Surely I'm a bit like him. But grace keeps us from comparison. God has made us the way he's made us. He's made each one of us uniquely. Each one, that verse Marcus gave earlier, each one has a gift. Each one brings their contribution. And grace reminds us of our need for one another. I haven't got it all. You haven't got it all. None of us have. But when we come together, when there's that synergy in God, great things happen. There's real joy in working alongside dear friends in the gospel on the journey. So as a brother, Epaphroditus put his love into practice. As a worker, he put his hand to the plow. And finally, as a soldier, he put his life on the line. It's what soldiers do. On the 15th of June in 2011, Kyle Hockenbury was in Afghanistan serving there and he stepped on an IED, like a landmine, and it blew up and he ended up losing both of his his legs. You may have heard that story. A photo did the rounds on social media during that time, um, really kind of uh, epitomizing what it means to be a soldier. And it was a photo of Kyle in a helicopter, I think, just after this had happened, lying on his side with his top off, and along his side was his tattoo saying this, "Um, for those I love, I will sacrifice. For those I love, I will sacrifice. And we just read in verse 30 here, Epaphroditus, it says that he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life. Maybe that was on the journey. Maybe that was an illness contracted somewhere that he nearly died. But Paul equates him coming close to death with following Jesus, with the work of Christ. His personal safety and security were not his number one priority. He was considering others' interests above his own, even at the cost of his own life. And in the world today, there are many men and women who are literally risking their lives for the sake of following Jesus and helping other people come to know him. I was reading in the Open Doors. Open Doors are an organization that help serve the persecuted church in the world and get alongside those people. And it talks about here in North Korea, the most dangerous place to follow Jesus in the world today. And they interview this um, secret worker who helps um, them when they come out of North Korea into China. He helps these believers and so on. And then there's this prayer as well from a believer in North Korea. And they said this, they prayed this, whether we live or die, we do it with our faithful fellow workers. There's that word there, who walk faithfully on the same road as us. Thank you, God, for these fellow workers who have such a strong faith, a faith that is continually refined by fire. 
faithful friends, fellow workers, whether we live or die, they are literally risking their lives to help those. And in doing so, they're following Jesus. Epaphroditus, in doing so, in risking his life, was following Jesus. And I wonder whether there's a deliberate comparison here, in one sense, with Christ, or sort of saying, this is the way that Epaphroditus is living this out. Epaphroditus, it says, came close to death. And yet in the verses previous to this, Jesus, it says, was obedient to the point of death. He went fully all the way for us. They're living examples, pointing us to Jesus, the way we're to live, not counting our lives um, as, as, as you know, worth living, as it were, but, but being willing. Paul says that I have died. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And I don't know about you, but when I read stories of Epaphroditus or Timothy or others, I think, well, you know, I'm not exactly, my life isn't being threatened by following Jesus right now. How do I do this? And one, one little quote that I discovered many years ago that says this, it's not that we might have to die for Christ that matters, but it's how we live for him that really matters. Living, from, following Jesus, looking at the way Jesus lived and giving his life for the benefit of others one way that we might put this sort of into practice, what does it mean to be like a soldier, is actually to follow the commands of, as it were, our commanding officer, Jesus, to listen to his words. And that verse I read out earlier, John 15, that no greater love is there. Let me read it again, verse 12 to 13. It draws out these themes of friendship, but also this sense of following Jesus' commands. This is my command, Jesus says. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, greater love has no one than he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. And what's his command? To love each other. What does it mean to be like a soldier following Jesus? Well, one of the things is to put into practice the command that he gives, to love one another, even at cost to ourselves. We're to be like brothers and sisters, putting our love into practice. We're to be like workers, putting our hands to the plow. We're to be like soldiers, putting our lives on the line, cost to ourselves for the benefit of others as we follow Jesus through this season. And there's another verse in 2 Timothy. I won't go into it now, but I encourage you maybe have a look at this in your life groups or running partners if you're part of the church family here at King's. 2 Timothy 2, 3 to 4. Paul draws out this, what it means to be a soldier. Maybe have a look at that in your life groups and, and, and work out together what it means to follow Jesus in that way. I'm going to end there, but I'm going to invite Tony and the band back up now. And I just want to read a little quote to you that says this. And then I'd like to pray for us. Through all the troubles and disappointments of his life, Paul is able to see and delight in the radiance of Christ, reflected in the character and the service of his friends. And Lord, I want to pray that, that Lord, you, you, would, you would help us, help me, be a good friend to others, to be a faithful friend on the journey. Lord, I thank you for the joy that there is in, in coming together, in serving alongside dear friends, following you. Lord, thank you for the encouragement of friends. Thank you, Lord, for all that is going on in the church family right now. Lord, to encourage one another, to reach out, to care for one another. Help us be a friend like you, Jesus. Help us follow in your footsteps. Help us learn from Epaphroditus. Lord, help us to be that family. Lord, help us to put our hand to the plow. 
Lord, help us to work out how we can serve one another and minister to one another's needs in the season that we're in right now, Jesus. I pray for your help in that. I pray for your enabling grace in that for each one of us. In your precious name, amen. Wonderful. Over to you, Tony.